All right. Can you hear me now? <laughs> All right. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, I'm not going to do the PowerPoint this morning, just to let you know that. In fact, folks, in your bulletin, you have an insert. Just disregard that this morning. Amen? Uh, we just are not going to go that direction. We're just going to go a whole different direction because we follow the Holy Spirit. Amen? Well, you think that's a great idea? You, 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 even though we put a lot of effort and notes and all that, and I'm a, I'm a note guy, I like to, uh, I, I'm usually called a porcupine preacher, but I just feel like the Lord doesn't want me to use my porcupine preaching today. Uh, but we, we do want to talk about, and, and I want to just open my heart. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I, I, uh, I am so pumped in my spirit about what God is doing in our midst because I believe that this church is in for a serious shift in the days ahead. I, I believe we're shifting into a greater understanding of what the Lord is doing among us. Amen? Everyone say shift. shift. I mean, God, God is helping us to shift gears. And uh, it's amazing when you shift gears, uh, you actually move into a place of rest, but at the same time, you actually accelerate your life. How many of you believe God wants us to accelerate our life? Uh, I'm not just talking about getting more busier, but I believe that there's an amazing, uh, uh, there's an amazing power and a sustaining life upon every believer who really yields to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I want to just make a big announcement this morning that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each one of you on a daily basis. The question is, are you hearing him? And secondly, the word that he's speaking to you is always a word that will move you forward, it will take you higher, and it will, will, it will be a word that will require some sacrifice and faith on your part. Can you say amen? Because, you see, God, God is not a God who stands still. He's not a God who will allow you to stagnate and stop in the place where you're at. He's a God who's moving forward. He's a God who wants to make you such a prophetic voice and use your life in such a prophetic way that not only you, but you as a couple, even your children, your children are going to make dynamic impact on the lives of people. You carry with you the seed of greatness on you. You carry the seed of greatness. You know, everything God does starts in seed form. In fact, the kingdom message is a, is, is a, message, uh, is, is a message that is organic in nature. In other words, in order for anything to grow in the kingdom, you have to sow it, plant it, you need to cultivate it, you need to water it. As you begin to water it, you begin to see fruit. I don't know about you, but how many of you like to have a fruitful marriage, a fruitful life? You want to see God bring fruitfulness in your finances, fruitfulness in your health, fruitfulness in your plans. How many of you like to have your plans, amen, uh, come to pass? And, you know, the Bible says that God wants us to prosper. He actually wants you to prosper. And this is what he says, in all your ways. He's not tricking us. He's not lying to us. But I, I want to I take you this morning and I want to talk to us about the power of his presence. The importance of the presence of the Lord. This morning, as we were coming together, remember what the New Testament says. 
that we who were not a people, we were not a people in 1 Peter chapter 2. We were a people outside of the commonwealth, of the covenant promises of God, Ephesians 2 also says. We were cut off from the promises, cut off when we, before Jesus came and began to bring the revelation of the kingdom and his purposes. We, we were outside, cut off. A wall of hostility was between us and God. And because of that kind of mindset and because of that place and position, the Bible doesn't say that we were not only in darkness, but we were darkness. It doesn't just say you were in darkness. It says darkness was on you and it's in you. When a person has darkness in their life, darkness means the absence of light, the absence of truth. And when the truth is not working, when it's not working in my life, what happens is confusion begins to prevail. And Satan is the author of confusion. I believe this morning, God wants all of you, before you leave here today, you're going to know who you are, you're going to know where you're going, and you know how to get there. Amen? And see, it's, the key of that is recognizing that we are people of his presence. My Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that Jesus was the firstborn among many. And what that means is that he was the prototype. He was the example for many other sons and daughters that would follow after him that would help usher in the kingdom. And so when Jesus came, he was a representative. He was the extension of the Father. And uh, when Jesus came, he began to preach the message of the kingdom. But everyone on earth at the time when Jesus came really believed that God would have a different agenda. Jesus preached an agenda. He preached a message that was not something they were looking for. Let me just say that, that I believe it's very prophetic and profound that we need to recognize. Do you know that for God to move in your life, you need to look for him in ways that he would not that you would not think he would come. You need to recognize that he may not come within the realm of your tunnel vision. He's going to come in ways that are not going to necessarily fit for you. That's all of us. Jesus didn't come the way the Jews thought he should come. They thought Jesus was going to come as a military and a political messiah in his day. Instead, he comes almost in this kind of a quiet, silent way, born of a Virgin Mary, born in a stable. There was no huge announcement. He comes, he's born, and only a few people knew about his birth. Speaking of how revival starts, many times he came to a woman by the name of Mary. Mary was just of the seed of, of the lineage of David. And uh, here was a woman who was a spouse to be married to her husband, Joseph, and God speaks to her one day and says, you're pregnant and you're going to have a son. Now, how many of you know that could really mess up your day? <laughs> when all of a sudden you're engaged to be married, you're planning your wedding, family, the, the invitation's been sent out, the honeymoon's planned, and all of a sudden an angel comes and says, oh, woman, highly favored of God, you're pregnant. <clears throat> Now, I don't know about you, but the Bible says that Mary, it says two things about Mary. She was troubled. She was troubled by what she heard. 
And then she asked this question, how can this thing happen? Do you know that if you are ever in a position where you are troubled and you're asking how some things can happen, you're probably in the right place. But if you can predict everything, if you are in a place, you're in a church where you can predict and you like the way things are going because it kind of fits your ideology or your theology, chances are you're in a religious church that's not going to go very far. Because it's amazing how God works. He doesn't always let us know what's going on up ahead so we don't get comfortable being in our place. Because he's a God who's always on the move. He's a God that will take you down one way and then he may turn 180 degrees. And we need to learn to hear his voice. Amen? But in this passage in Mark chapter 1, <clears throat> Jesus was the persona of the Father. And he comes into the synagogue. Verse 21, then he went into Capernaum, and immediately the Sabbath he entered into the synagogue and taught, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And there was a man in that synagogue, notice this man was in church. <clears throat> Here's a guy in church. With an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Leave me alone. Let me tell you something about unclean spirits. Unclean spirits do not get along with the Holy Spirit. In fact, unclean spirits usually withdraw from anybody who has the Holy Spirit. Unclean spirits love to draw attention to themselves. And that's what this guy's doing. He's making a lot of noise. And what he's also doing is trying to cry out, victim. Look at me, look at me. Look what Jesus is doing to me. He's hurting me. That's what, the, that's what an unclean spirit does. And here's the reason why unclean spirits do that. Unclean spirits do that because they don't want to be messed with. So they try to make you look like an idiot, make you look like a fool by taking the attention off of them and putting it on Jesus as some abusive Messiah. You're here to hurt me, Jesus! And they're screaming this out. Amen. Are we all here this morning? I want you to understand how the spirit world works. Because here's what my point. How many of you believe we need to know how to do spiritual warfare? Yeah. We need to understand how to look beyond the surface and recognize how the enemy is working behind the scenes. We need to learn how to not wrestle against flesh and blood. We, we need to learn how to call things that are really are. So sometimes... Sometimes we may see something on the outside that looks practical, looks logical, looks reasonable, rational to our natural mind. It may look factual, logical, reasonable, but really, it's a mask. It's not real. And you see, God, today, what He's doing to the church is He's restoring a prophetic understanding, and He's restoring to the church the power to be able to recognize what is going on behind the scenes. One day I was, my wife and I, we were talking to a couple, just having some little bit of marriage problems. Wasn't any huge, big problem. We were dealing with some marriage problems, and what was on the surface was this. Pastor, we, we just don't get along. And, we, and they were fighting each other. And by the way, we've all been there, fighting and struggling against each other, even as my wife and I have done many times, and, and, until finally... Carol and I, in our own particular marriage bouts at times, 
we've come to realize that the problem is not in her or in me, but it's what the devil's trying to do behind the scenes by creating false realities or trying to create a problem by supplanting certain kinds of arguments or lies in our mind to get us to think and to succumb to lowering ourselves to battling in our flesh rather than fighting the good fight of faith on our knees together. We've had to learn to bind spirits, Carol and I. We've had to learn to take sickness before the Lord. We've had to learn to take finances before the Lord. We've learned to take the church before the Lord in prayer. I've come to find out when a church becomes a praying church, you catapult into a different stratosphere in the kingdom when you begin to pray. Amen. I, I, I don't want to ask anybody how many families are out here praying together. But I pray that you understand that we are living in times right now in America where things are changing in our nation. The Lord has spoken to my heart. He says, Ray, tell new life for every family to get your house in order. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. I got to get some amens up here. Amen. I'm a little bit insecure. Amen. So uh, how many of you believe it's good to get our house in order? And what that means is, is we don't want to go out and do some stupid spending. And we don't want to just put ourselves in debt. I'm not saying that we're to live in fear. But it's kind of like in the days of Joseph. When God spoke to Joseph that there would be seven fat years and then seven lean years. And we need to be wise. We need to plan ahead. We need to be men and women who understand and work with the presence of the Lord. See, God's presence... God's presence is what is going to begin to give some directives. But here Jesus comes into the temple. He has authority. And there's a man who meets him with an unclean spirit, cries out, leave me alone. What do I have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you not come to destroy us? You know what? I I just want to stop right there. Do you know that there's nothing... The, the devil, there's nothing that the devil says is any good. The devil will always try to <coughs> twist what God is doing. He'll always do that. I remember uh, several years ago when I was a young man and uh, I was going through some real testing in my own home church. And uh, I was facing, the Lord was allowing me to walk through a series of contradictions, allowing me to I walked through some things where I was misunderstood and was wrestling with some real issues of my own sense of worth and identity. And I had come to this place where I wanted to leave Bible Temple, my home church. And I had a gentleman from Vancouver, Canada, who was a, a minister, came down. And on a Thursday night service, he came up to me. He didn't know me, but he comes down. He, he There was an altar call. He comes down and he has a prophetic word over me, and he says, listen, you're walking through a tight place right now. You're in a situation where there's a lot of things happening in your life, and the Lord wants you to know you need to stay put, and you need to stay steady, because God has you on the potter's wheel. God has you on the potter's wheel. And you know, it's amazing. Sometimes we're, how many of you remember that we're the clay, he's the potter? And sometimes the clay wants to jump off the potter's wheel. Because uh, it seems like we're just going in circles, but yet God has his hand and he's shaping, he's molding, he's fashioning us 
into what he wants us to do. But here, I went through that season of uh, questioning the Lord. And uh, I was, as a young man, growing in the knowledge of God's Word, but I didn't really understand spiritual warfare. I didn't understand His presence. I didn't know how to invite God's presence into my life when I was going through these seasons of testing and questioning. I just kind of endured and just kind of let things happen, and I just went from week in to week out, and I just was kind of praying that everything would somehow be all right. And I later realized that I didn't have to live like that. It was a revelation to me one day. When I began to seek the Lord... And that even as Jesus is coming into this temple, and it's interesting, when Jesus, when his presence comes, the one thing Jesus does is he will not allow unclean spirits to go unchecked. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that when Jesus comes into the situation, the one thing God's presence does is that he will bring order out of disorder. God will begin to bring things into, in, into order. And, and, and what he does here... <coughs> is he confronts the, the, the man that has the unclean spirit. And it says, verse 25, that Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Amen. I, I just want to say to us this morning, there's times that we just need to, under the Holy Ghost of unction, just need to say to the devil, Be quiet. Everyone say, Be quiet. <clears throat> just, just be quiet, devil. <clears throat> I'm not going to listen to your lies anymore. There, there's a day, I, I think it's okay, and I give everyone permission this morning to talk to yourself. I, I, I give you all permission this morning to talk out loud and even talk to the devil and talk to God and to speak to angels. We need to stop thinking that, oh, that's weird. No, it's not weird. It's fact it's so healthy and it's very normal. You need to learn to recognize <clears throat> that uh, when, 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 we're, when we're just living life and we're, we're going through life, <clears throat> Uh, the devil does his part to set us up for failure, set us up to entrap us, to divert us, to distract us, distort things in our life. That's his job. And, you do it, and it'll never end, not until Jesus comes. The devil's out there. But he's referred to in Isaiah as the destroyer. But yet God uses him. Actually, God uses the, the, the powers of darkness. And, and in fact, it's through these seasons of testings that God uses that to bring things to the surface that we're not aware of. And instead of becoming intimidated and second-guessing if we're in the will of God or whether we're right with God, we need to come to realize, wait a minute, everything is right with God. I love the Lord. I'm not living in any known sin. There's, there's nothing in my life that, that I'm doing that would bring reproach to Him. And I'm a child of God, and so I need to, I need to recognize this, and I need to just say, Father, this morning... I thank you for your, your precious blood this morning, and I just invite your presence. We, we need to call upon the name of the Lord, amen? And, and when, we, when we call upon the name of the Lord, we, we need to learn to recognize his, his, his power and His presence is there and to heal and restore. And I love what it says. When Jesus said to be quiet, come out of him, in verse 26, and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, cried out with a loud voice, he came out, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now, here, here what we have is we have a, a man 
who's a church-going man. He's a churchgoer. And he's in, a, in, he's in church, but he has an unclean spirit. And what I think is really interesting, up until this time, until Jesus comes into the synagogue, is that no one in the church till that time even recognized the problem. This guy was coming to church like that. And by the way, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, folks, do you know that unclean spirits can hide inside of you? They can hide. And, you, and they become comfortable. Now, the purpose, I want you to jump back with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Jump with me to Isaiah chapter 6. The power and the purpose of God's presence. When Jesus comes into the temple, he is the light of the world. Everyone say light. Wherever Jesus walked, he shed light on things. Now, the Bible says that the light did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to bring all things that are in darkness and to expose it. God does not expose anything to shame you. If God ever brings anything to light in your life, it's because he wants to heal you. Everyone say heal. The presence of the Lord is not to shame you. There's a lot of people today, you know, I can't go to church. I'll ask them why. Well, I've just been in a battle with my home. I've backslid into sin. And pastor, I'm not ready for church. I'm not worthy. Now, what did I just say there? I'm telling people that I'm under the law. I'm trying to get myself, clean myself up, work myself, get myself back to where I feel I've, I've, I've got this little bit of a track record when I'm really doing well, that I'm worthy to come to the house of God, and now I'll be accepted. But, by the way, that is not acceptable. That kind of a mindset is not acceptable with God. The Bible says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 4.19 says, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, When? In the time of need. Why? So that you may obtain mercy. Everyone say mercy. Mercy. Now, how come he says to come boldly? Because you have a father in heaven who anticipates that relationship that has been broken through sin or whatever. He anticipates that relationship with you being restored. He does not want you separated one day longer. He wants you to know that he's longing for you as a son, as a daughter. He's longing for you, I'm sorry, as a father who longs for his sons and daughters to come back to him. And he longs for you, and let me just say this, even with a smile on his face. There's a smile on the face of the father, even with prodigals. In fact, my Bible says in Luke chapter 15, when Jesus is speaking about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, and you talk about the the principle of restoration, it says that the father saw him afar off and ran when the prodigal was on his way home and started kissing him on the neck. What Jesus was talking about was giving us a revelation of a father who loves a son who's been swimming with the pigs. Because he wants you to know there's a place, there's still a place of restoration. There's still a place for mercy. And that's why he says, I don't want you to come inhibited. I want you to come boldly to the throne of grace. I want you to receive mercy. And here's why. Because it's only in that place of mercy and grace do you actually really change. 
Grace is the only thing that changes you. It's God's love that changes you much greater than that. In fact, keep your hand in, in Isaiah 6, but I've I got to read this out of uh, 1 John. I want to read a scripture to you that's so powerful concerning God's great love, and I'm speaking about His presence this morning. Now, I believe the Lord wants to quicken our mind. It says here this in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God. For God is what? No, notice this verse 9. Very important. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us. Notice, it's towards us. It doesn't say the love of God is manifest for, from me to him, but it's from him to me. That God has sent his only begotten Son of the world that we might live through him. That means, to live through him means this. Is that when I am in any situation, whether it's with a spouse or with a person, with an employee or with people that are impossible to live with or to work with. God is saying that when his love is working through us, that we might live through him. That means that when I see people or I'm running into situations where I've been offended, I may begin to see them through the eyes of Jesus. I no longer see them through my eyes of offense. Because see, when I see people, I'm always offended. But when I see people through Jesus' eyes, I see grace. I see acceptance. I see my problem so small in his love so large. See, that's why Paul is saying that we must understand his love that works through him. Notice this in verse 10. And this is love. By the way, the world doesn't even know what love is. They think they do, but most of it's lust. But here, true love is this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And notice what he says. It's not that we loved God, not from me to heaven, but that God loved us and sent his only son. In other words, I live, my strength comes from the knowledge of his love towards me. It's not what I do for him. Now, what that should do is completely alleviate and it should destroy any attempt on our part to try to please God out, out of our own strength. Really important right there. That it's because he loved me. Say that with me. He loves me. Now see, the Bible says this in Psalms 100. Come before his presence with singing. Come before his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Why does it say that? Come into his presence with singing, into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. The reason why we come that way is because the first thing under the old covenant when people would come into the outer court of the tabernacle of Moses, the first thing they would see was the altar, the brazen altar of sacrifice. They would see the blood or the lamb or the ram that was shed on the altar. God is trying to let you know that you have the right, it's a God-given right of sonship to come into his presence because the blood has been shed. The blood signifies his authority in which he has made a legal right for you to come into his presence. And so I come into his presence with singing, into his courts with praise. And that's why on a Sunday morning, and this is what one of the things I would love to see 
New Life Fellowship. I, I would love to see this church just, just absolutely explode with praise. Wouldn't it be awesome if all of us just kind of got a little radical on Sunday? It's just like, take it, Jesus. I mean, I mean, I know some of you as a pastor, that's just not my nature. We'll get baptized in the Holy Ghost then. Amen. You know, the, the, the purpose of the Holy Ghost wasn't, wasn't just to make you come. The purpose of the Holy Ghost was to transform you, turn you inside out. I mean, Peter, James, and John, they were all cowards before the baptism. All of a sudden, they got baptized. And the Bible says, and this noise went out. I mean, Solomon's porch was not some little morbid, quiet little synagogue over in the corner. It says the noise went out all of Jerusalem. You see, it, it, you may say, well, Pastor, that's just not my nature. Well, get saved then. Get baptized. I'm, well, I, that, I, I'm, I'm offended. Well, God will heal you. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that you have to be some weird extrovert. I'm not trying to suggest that, but there's something about the Holy Spirit that in the word dunamis, the, the word power, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's, it, it, it means explosive. It means so powerful. And when Jesus said to tarry in Jerusalem, he didn't say tarry in Jerusalem until you can sing your hymns better. He didn't say tarry in Jerusalem so you can start going to church and just kind of fall into a pattern of, of being religious. No, he said tarry in Jerusalem until you be a dude with power. I want you to have power. And what that power means, it isn't just power to jump and be excited. I'm not trying to suggest that. But it's the kind of power where you begin to speak and you begin to see things. See, you, are, you are walking like Jesus, the beloved Son, the begotten Son, with open heavens. Where you see in the Spirit. You begin to hear the voice from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, that's, that's what it means where the Spirit rested upon Jesus like a dove. There was a humility upon Jesus. and The dove rested upon Jesus. Yet he carried with him a passion and a power that was explosive. He was prophetic. He was insightful. He built bridges. He brought people together. He reached into community. He turned society upside down. He was not afraid or ashamed of who he was or what he had to say. There was something in, him, in his heart that was something that was in Jesus that was drawing him to the, such a point where he said, the zeal of my house, of his house, has eaten me up. It wasn't out of religious condemnation or persuasion. It wasn't out of this. But, but Jesus was consumed with the presence of the Father, the apostles, so consumed with the power and the fire of God that they were willing to suffer. They were willing. And can you imagine this? In Acts chapter 4, they came out because they healed. The, the man at the, Bethesda, uh, the gate was healed. And, and they put him in prison. And they sternly warned Peter and John, you will never preach again in the name of Jesus. And, they, and John and Peter got up. Here, a man who's transformed before he was a coward, running for himself, lying, uh, denying the Lord. But now Peter, under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Ghost, said, to the Sanhedrin and to the Pharisees, shall we obey man or shall we obey God? His testimony. Here, here's Peter transformed. Let me, let me just say this, folks. God wants to transform us. God wants to exchange. He, he wants you to know that you, you are free 
to be what he's created you to be. He wants you to come alive because his presence rests. Notice back here in Isaiah 6, my closing text. This is a time where Isaiah had just experienced a funeral because of the king Uzziah had passed away, died. And it says, in the year, verse 1, Isaiah 6, 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Everyone say, I saw the Lord. Do you know that when you go through some tragic times, God wants to open your eyes so you can see the Lord? You might be walking through something right now where a friend, something that you thought was going to live, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw something. I saw something that was not normal. I, I saw something that God was trying to speak and reveal to me that I really wasn't looking for, but I saw the Lord. Amen. I'm here to prophetically say to somebody this morning that you've been looking at what has been dying. You've almost given up. You've almost quit. But God wants you to understand that in His presence, He will open your eyes. He will open your eyes to see the Lord high and lifted up. And His train fill the glory. Three things about God's presence. Number one, His presence always opens your eyes in the midst or in the face of adversity or in deep pride. He will open your eyes. Just say this, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see, Lord, what you see. Open my eyes and open my ears. But notice what happens. As he is in the presence of the Lord... And he begins to write this down. And he says, above it, I saw the seraphim, each having six wings. Two, he covered his face. And two covered his feet. And two, uh, with the other two, he flew. And one cried to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of God of hosts. The Lord, whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy is the Lord. Can you imagine when God's people begin to cry what the angels are singing? Holy, holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Amen. Let's all say holy together. Holy. Sing it. Sing it. Don't say it. Sing it. Holy, 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 holy. Come on. Come on. Baptize them, Lord. Holy, holy. Holy, 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 holy. Guess what we're going to be doing for eternity? Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Holy. That's what they're doing. Notice what happens. And the posts of the doors were shaken. Let me tell you something. When you start crying out holy, God's going to start shaking some things. God's going to start rattling some things. He's going to start breaking down some strongholds. Oh, Pastor Ray, where do you get that in the Bible? My Bible says in Acts chapter 15, when they convened at Jerusalem over the issue of circumcision, James, the, the elder, got up as among the apostles, and he began to say that in the last days I will raise again the tabernacle of David and the ruins that were taken down. What were the ruins and what were the ancient Days of, of the tabernacle represented. David is always connected with worship. Yeah. He's connected with a, as a man who understood the presence of God. He is the first 
world power. The first nation, Israel, is the only time in the nation of Israel that they ever experienced a world dominion as a superpower. It was Israel during the days of David. From then, it's never happened since that time. When David became king, God gave him such dominion and such victory. And it wasn't because he was a smart guy. It wasn't because he was a great intellectual guy with a lot of technology or understanding about... It wasn't just because he was a people person. It was because David said this one thing, this one thing that I will seek after and behold is the, the presence or the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his, in his house or his temple, to behold the beauty and the presence of the Lord. David was a man of God's presence. But here we find that in Isaiah, Isaiah is in this place. And he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And all of a sudden, things start shaking around him. And it says in the voice, who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Wow, wouldn't it be awesome to have the house filled with the presence of the Lord? Smoke is always connected to the presence. Then notice what it says in verse 5. Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Second thing that the God's, God's presence will begin to do, bring conviction. God's presence, do you know that conviction is not condemnation? Conviction, do you know what it is? God's presence makes you see how undone or unclean you are. Do you know that that's a good thing? Not condemnation. But the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. Condemnation attacks the person. Conviction addresses the need. It, can, it, it, it addresses an attitude. It addresses anything that comes between or stands in the way of God's presence and blessing and favor from flowing in your life. David or Isaiah. Isaiah said, woe is me. Whoa. Whoa. But here, I love the third part. Even though he was under conviction, then, everyone say then. Amen. Then one of the seraphims flew to me. Having in his hand, this is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, flew to me, having a hand of live coal in his hand, taken from the tongue, tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth. Everyone say my mouth. Notice that it didn't say he touched my kneecap or my head or my ear or my nose. It touched my mouth. God's interested in loosening your mouth. He's interested in anointing your mouth because whatever you declare, whatever you confess, whatever you call into being comes to pass. You have creative power. That tongue, that tongue, that coal touched his mouth, having his hand in his hand and the tongues and the touch my mouth, saying, Behold, this has touched your lips. Notice what it says. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. The third thing that God's presence does is it ushers his grace. His grace. And washed, he's cleansed. And now he stands before the Lord. And the Lord, the next couple verses says, who shall go 
and the Lord sent Isaiah the prophet to go to, to be a prophet to the nations. God's presence causes me to see. It opens my eyes. God's presence brings conviction of anything that would come between me and him. And thirdly, God's presence ushers his grace in my life. That's the purpose of God's presence. Amen. How many of you want to be people of God's presence? I want to tell you, God is more excited about your presence with him than you are with him. He's more excited about you being with him than, than us being with him. He loves you that much. And this morning, I, I, just, I want to just pray over us as a church. I want to ask the Lord to make us a people of his presence. I want us to become a people who understand what it is to come boldly to the throne of grace. I want us to understand, folks, that we carry an amazing responsibility. Jesus said it in Luke 22. He says, I bestow upon you this day my kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table. God wants us to eat and drink every time. See, the table is always in reference to fellowship, always in reference to intimacy. And what God is saying is, I want you to eat of my goodness. I want you to eat of my life. I don't want you to feel like you're a foreigner. I don't want you to feel like you're a stranger to my presence. You might feel undone like Isaiah. You may feel undone and unclean for you're a man or a woman who dwells among unclean people, and we all are. But aren't you grateful that God, in his mercy, has reached out and he's touched our tongue? And you know what? When he touches your tongue, there's a language. There's a new language that is released. It's the language of faith. It's a language of grace. It's the language of God's promises. It's a language where you call those things that are not as though they are. I'll tell you, my wife and I have experienced the power of his presence. Even in times where we don't always agree. We don't always see eye to eye when we've prayed. And many times we've done this, especially in our latter years. We pray, we worship God together, and immediately... Whatever spirit has been in our home, it's broken and it's, it just leaves. Because when you let Jesus, when you lift Jesus up, his enemies scatter. His enemies scatter. Let's all stand to our feet this morning, shall we? Let's stand to our feet. Amen. I, I, I just sense that the Lord is wanting us to become people of his presence. Jesus goes into synagogues. Unclean spirits cry out. Do you know that you're a threat to the enemy? Let me just say this. Because of his presence and his spirit upon you, the devil will not like you. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. He says, my mission is to make the devil mad and the people glad. You're going to make the devil mad wherever you go, but you're going to make God's people glad. You carry with you an awesome power. You carry his presence. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want you to bow your head this morning. You may say, Pastor Ray, I want to walk in that power. I want to walk in that confidence and faith. I know that there's been times where I, I feel like God's presence has been so distant, and I, I just need a fresh touch. I need just... I just need the Lord just to touch my heart this morning. 
I just, I, I just want to come back to that place of confidence. I, I, I need to come boldly to the throne of grace this morning, and, and I, I just need to shake myself from these, some of these strongholds over my mind and over my life. And I want to recognize that anointing and that calling and that blessing that God has put upon me. And, and I just need a release and a, and a freedom in my life because I've been just kind of stuck. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray over you right now. Amen. Anybody? Okay, I see a couple of those hands. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Amen. Anyone else can just say, you know, Pastor Ray, I need the fire of God revived in my life. I've allowed the fire of God to just kind of go out, and I've just kind of fallen into a routine, but with no passion in my life. I need the passion, the fire restored back in my life. I want, I want to have the passion of His presence again. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Just need the passion. Okay? See that hand? Anyone else? Amen. I want you to take each other by your hand as a body this morning. Take, take a hold of your brother and sister this morning. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to touch the coal of the altar. And what that is, simply, is we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts, to quicken our confession, to quicken our vision. This morning, you don't have to stay in a solitary place. You don't have to stay in a place where there's no life. He wants you to move up. He wants to grow up. He wants you to stand strong. He wants you to rise up and see the glory of the Lord in your life. Father, we pray right now as we come before the throne of grace. Lord, we take issue with anything, Lord, that would come between us. Lord, we know already that the blood has washed us. We know that we're kings and priests. We know that we're highly blessed and favored of the Lord. We know that. And Lord, we thank you for the work of redemption in our life. And Lord, but at times as human beings, we, we allow the enemy to come in and put a wall between us and you. And Lord, we get distracted. So Father, I pray right now for a fresh baptism of Holy Ghost fire upon this house. Holy Ghost fire. Lord, we just ask you, Lord Jesus, to heal us, restore us. Lord, lift our vision. Lord, let our eyes behold the glory of the Lord. Send freedom in our homes. Send confidence in us and over us and on us, Lord. Father, we lean on you. We look to you. We put our trust in you. And everyone said... Amen. All right. Turn to someone. Give them a hug this morning. God bless you. Don't forget life groups tonight. And also don't forget Wednesday, Brother James sharing the word. God bless. If anyone likes prayer, feel free to come down. I'd love to pray with you. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I gotta get my own, but let me just pray with you. Father, we just we just thank you, Lord, for James. I thank you, Lord, for this man of faith. Lord, and as we just lay hands.